As a girl, Melanie Strickland was obsessed with the night sky. At 10 years old, she would log the satellite she spotted and write letters to NASA. Today, her startup Slingshot Aerospace tracks thousands of objects in orbit and using that data assesses risk. A risk that will only rise. Whenever I retired from the Air Force in 2017 to start this company, we were tracking about 1,800 active satellites. Uh, by 2020, there were almost 4,000. Um, and now we're sitting in 2023 with over 10,000. By the end of the decade, we're looking at uh, 100,000 um, active satellites on orbit. Um, and, and the investment continues to rise even in these economic downturns. So that could even go higher than 100,000. But look, we've got 300 million pieces of debris on orbit. In this episode, Slingshot CEO and co-founder discusses the VC-backed startup, generative AI, since space is poised to become an early use case, and even diversity efforts, as March represents Women's History Month. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. So I think let's just start a little bit with uh, what Slingshot is and what uh, the solution you're bringing to the space industry is. Yeah, certainly. I think it's undeniable the fact that our uh, human race has, has really become highly dependent on, on space. And uh, with that high dependency also comes vulnerability uh, because, in fact, uh, the digital infrastructure necessary to hold everything that's going up uh, on orbit in the space revolution um, hasn't really uh, kept up with, with that advancement. And so what we do here at Slingshot Aerospace is we are a space uh, sustainability company. We really are here to ensure that our customers who fly in those orbital regimes across defense, commercial, and civil agencies are able to understand where they are in relation to risk on orbit. And that risk comes in uh, several forms today. It comes uh, in the non-physical form from space weather and RF congestion and those types of things. And it also comes from the physical um, uh, risk on orbit from uh, uh, the 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 uh, collision risk with debris as well as uh, active and uh, deactivated satellites. And so the growth of that um, has made it so that uh, you know, when we when we activate a customer, they're leveraging us uh, just for space or uh, safer space operations, uh, as well as uh, collision avoidance. So just to put it into context um, for folks that maybe aren't quite as as familiar, when we talk about how how crowded space is, whether it's from a debris standpoint or from the congestion of, say, signals, like just just how crowded are we talking about here? Yeah, great question. So there's actually over 300 million pieces of debris on orbit growing with every launch and certainly growing with every incident uh, on orbit from, from you know, uh, ASATs that have been launched and uh, shot down satellites. And, and down is not really uh, accurate when we say that because things continue to go 17,000 miles or an hour around the globe uh, when when an event like that happens. But um, there's also, you know, whenever I retired from the Air Force in 2017 to start this company, we were tracking about 1,800 active satellites. Uh, by 2020, there were almost 4,000. Um, and now we're sitting in 2023 with over 10,000. By the end of the decade, we're looking at uh, 100,000 um, active satellites on orbit. Um, 
and and the investment continues to rise even in these economic downturns. So that could even go higher than 100,000. But look, we've got 300 million pieces of debris on orbit. And uh, by the end of the, the decade here, we're looking at 100,000 uh, active satellites. I mean, that's incredible when you, it's, it's like exponential growth. It's like a hyperbolic chart, I think, if you mapped it all out. Um, but I, the piece that you said to me that just kind of got my attention before we get into the technology and like what, what Slingshot actually does and what that means mm-hmm. um, is just this idea of the stuff you can't see uh, that you're mm-hmm. mitigating the risk for. Because just all those satellites alone, I would imagine, to the point you just made is makes it very busy in terms of signals and, and all the other things that you can't see. You're right. And, and frankly, that no one can see, you know, there's, there's over a, a million uh, pieces of, of debris that are centimeter uh, and larger, but there's uh, many, many, many more that are less than a centimeter uh, between a millimeter and a centimeter. And, and frankly, no one can see that. And so, uh, there will always be that type of risk, uh, which means that we have to design constellations better in order to uh, not fly within those regimes that that uh, have more of those uh, smaller particles of debris. So how are you tackling this? Yeah, well, we tackle it from uh, the perspective of our products. Uh, the, the first and in, in, in and foundational piece of our product line is to ensure that we are virtualizing as much of that space domain as we can. Um, and what virtualization means is an active representation of uh, this the operational uh, domain where um, our customers fly from low Earth orbit all the way out to cislunar. In order to do that, uh, you may know that we recently acquired Numerica space with over 20 sites and and over 120 sensors that look up at space and measure um, where these uh, things are. Now, we can't see less than 10 centimeters, but we can see the preponderance of things that are larger than 10 centimeters. Um, In the future, we'll be able to see much smaller than that, but we uh, provide uh, those measurements to our customers. We also provide them a new and easier way, a decentralized way to deconflict their airspace, so to speak, if there were air up there. I call it space space. But uh, we give them an easy way through our, our capability called Slingshot Beacon um, to, to, um, to uh, it, Slingshot Beacon is a, is a uh, two-sided communication platform and it really allows the customers to deconflict that airspace through uh, meaningful information from that underlying technology, both from our sensor collections, as well as um, taking the collision data messages from the United States government, uh, which have increased to, uh, you know, some some of the, the customers out there receive over 100,000 uh, collision data messages a day because it's uh, based off thresholds that were created in the 80s. Uh, where if you are coming within, you know, a a very large covariance bubble, you get a warning. So now that we've got lots of capability on orbit, these operators, these owners and operators of satellites receive these warnings at a rate that's not usable. So we make uh, those usable now by by creating thresholds that only the customer um, uh, uses. For example, you know, SpaceX uses different thresholds uh, than one web than uh, you know some of the smaller folks use, and so we needed to create a system 
that allowed those um, owner operators to maintain um, safe operating parameters according to their thresholds rather than the government's thresholds. Um, that allowed us to then um, provide a free service um, to um, uh, reduce the number of CDMs that they receive and communicate with one another. You know, space is a non-jurisdicted domain, uh, and these objects are going 17,000 miles an hour around uh, the Earth. And uh, for many, many years, until Slingshot Beacon came around, they were using an outdated database of owner-operators with uh, phone numbers and emails. And on the other side of that email or phone, there may or may not be someone picking up the phone to answer uh, to deconflict that airspace. So Slingshot Beacon is that two-sided coordination uh, capability that allows our owner operators around the world to deconflict that collision risk uh, themselves with their own thresholds built in to that logic underneath the, the hood. Um, wow. I'll stop there. And I mean, that's and there's, there's like a lot. There was a lot to unpack there. And, and, yeah. and I got to tell you, my face is like my eyebrows are up. I'm like, what? Like 100,000 alerts a day got my attention. And then um, just this idea of like still using like phones and emails and to with all those alerts. And it, I mean, it's kind of incredible that it that that there wasn't a solution before Slingshot came along. Um, how are you able to offer that at least that part of the service for free. Yeah, we we believe basic um, space flight safety should be free, and it's really a beachhead for us to offer advanced services to those customers um, at the time and place of their choosing. Um, and and so uh, it's a network effect for us. It is, um, and and it's the right thing to do. Right. There, there are all types of owner operators from academia to, you know, the large owner operators that have been flying for years and years and everything in between. Now that this revolution has has picked up due to to uh, transparent launch prices um, and and smaller components that are commercial off the shelf technologies that, that go into building satellites. So we believe that, um, you know, the basic. Um, space flight safety uh, capabilities should be free. Um, and with that, we honor um, our customers and, and they honor us in buying uh, advanced services on top of that. Got it. Um, so it sounds like maybe SpaceX and OneWeb, two very well-known commercial satellite operators uh, are, and in the case of SpaceX, a launch provider uh, are using your service. Um, who else, who are some of your other Customers, what does that what does that portfolio look like? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, there are some that we can talk about, and 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 some that we can't. I can get you a list of those uh, after the the interview. Uh, but we have small, large. We've got customers uh, in Leo all the way out to Geo. Um, those those customers not only uh, use the technology today, but they also help to inform. The technology as we built it. So we're not a startup that went in with a pre-built uh, capability and said, hey, use this. We actually um, got uh, a variation of capabilities from the large mega constellations uh, who helped uh, inform their uh, use cases, as well as, you know, those that fly one or two satellites way out at GEO that are, you know, billion dollar assets to those that are startups just like us. Um, who um, are, are doing some really inspiring things on orbit from Earth observation all the way to um, 
uh, gas stations on orbit. Interesting. Um, this might be kind of a zany question, but um, space insurance, it's always been a very niche product, but I know, I know it's an industry that's been like growing um, to try and keep up with the demand, especially in the commercial, uh, with, with sort of the advent of this commercial space era. Um, is that something, does, that, does, does the service that you provide become something that's attractive to the insurers as well? I mean, yeah. I imagine that there, it becomes like, um, it radiates out a service like this it, and, and have it sure does. access to it. Yeah, I love this question because, um, you know, our other acquisition, Saradata, um, is a launch and satellite database that has been used for years uh, by the insurance industry. Those insurers that uh, provide policies for uh, launch and, and satellite operators. And, uh, you know, I'd say 90% of the, the insurance market that does that uses Saradata today. Uh, we continue to grow that aspect of the, of the company. And I think as we combine, you know, that database into our foundational platform, it'll really allow um, those insurance providers to see a more in-depth uh, and gain a more in-depth um, understanding of the risk uh, profile of their, of their clients. Uh, rather than just having a database, that database um, now is connected to real-time observations of the space operating environment, all the way from weather to, um, you know, debris and active, unactive and active on unactive satellites. Um, it, it's really fascinating. So uh, from a market standpoint, everybody's talking about artificial intelligence right now, yeah. uh, especially in light of some of the uh, offerings the, the earthbound for now, at least author offerings of uh, like Microsoft and, and Alphabet, um, you work in artificial intelligence as well. I guess walk me through that. We do. Um, you know, in space, it's always been um, a place where even before, you know, the buzzwords, AI, machine learning, those types of things, uh, predictive analytics have been at the root of uh, the capabilities uh, from the very first time we launched anything into orbit, we've had to predict where those uh, trajectories uh, of those assets would would be, um, because you don't have constant connection to those assets from an RF perspective, and you don't have continuous observation of those assets as they uh, um, uh, revolve around the Earth or orbit around the Earth. And so as, um, you know, the data continues to grow, now we're able to take that data into machine learning and eventually into um, full-on AI. And so the space industry is in a place now, and I think uh, Slingshot Aerospace is really situated at the core of that um, because we have so much data. From, from the Saradata database, uh, that holds data all the way back from Sputnik to yesterday's launches. Uh, to the uh, many, many observations, millions of observations a day that our sensor network brings in. We're now able to have the data repository that's actually necessary because these algorithms are so data hungry. Now we can get into true uh, prediction, not just uh, siloed mathematical uh, trajectory predictions. Um, so uh, more to come on that front. Uh, AI, I think, is going to tremendously help, not just from the predictive uh, nature, but also autonomous deconfliction, um, onboard deconfliction uh, of that risk eventually. Um, it's really fascinating. It, 
is, is, would, would it be correct then to say that Slingshot is really a data company focused on space rather than a space company focused on data? Clever and right. <laughs> I have my moments. <laughs> um, talk to me a little bit about how this company came to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, it starts all the way back in my childhood. Um, and so I'll, I'll be quick with it because I'm old and you don't want a long story here. Uh, but I was obsessed with the night sky as a child. I grew up in a tiny little town in West Texas where uh, there wasn't a whole lot to do. Uh, and it, it is still considered um, a protected dark skies area. Um, and so I could see the Milky Way most nights. And what that means is I could also see airplanes and satellites. And my dad taught me the difference between the two and how to how to understand that. And I started logging satellites even as a as a 10-year-old little girl in West Texas. I marched myself down to the our little library that had three rows probably of books and found uh, addresses to the NASA centers around the United States. I wrote letters to them. And uh, lo and behold, this little 10-year-old girl in West Texas started receiving manila envelopes from NASA uh, with schematics and pictures of astronauts and, and those types of things. And so, um, you know, I also loved airplanes. And so I couldn't think of a better place to cultivate those dreams uh, into a career than the United States Air Force. And so I joined the Air Force. I spent 21 years there, both on the enlisted side and the officer side. And I got to do my live stream. I got to fly in the back of a surveillance aircraft for the first eight years while going to school nights and weekends. And then I uh, crossed over to become an officer in the United States Air Force Space Command, where I got to not only operate, um, you know, highly classified uh, capabilities, but also I was dual um, hatted and also worked R&D acquisition, which meant I got to help build the next generation of satellites. And that's really where I got into space situational awareness in that uh, latter part of my career. The preponderance of my career was spent there. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I quickly um, realized that, you know, that the Air Force instilled leadership in me, I still believe the United States Air Force is one of the best leadership organizations in the world, if you take advantage of it. Um, and I also knew that we had a problem. I got to interface um, the last four years of my career. I interfaced with industry partners like SpaceX, like um, other startups and, and uh, industry partners that were doing amazing things on orbit and from a launch perspective. And I quickly realized if reusable launch vehicles were going to be a reality that, you know, we were already having problems tracking, uh, not tracking, but but uh, coordinating and deconflicting space space for 1800 objects that, that if reusables were to be successful, that that would um, exponentially increase the risk um, and the, the um, government is sometimes slow to build uh, data technologies and that I felt with those leadership skills, with the technical inclination, my knowledge of the, the, the problem that I could build a company to help solve this probably faster than I could uh, staying inside. Um, and so after 21 years in the Air Force, I decided to retire to start Slingshot Air, uh, Aerospace. And, and begin um, building the team and the technology to solve this. And that is what we're doing today. I couldn't be more proud, um, but we did start the company in 2017. I've got two co-founders. We started with three of us, and today we've got over 150 people uh, working on this problem. 
That's amazing. What a great story. Um, so you're growing quickly. How quickly are you growing? We're growing quickly. Uh, this time last year, I just checked the numbers. We were 59 people. Uh, today, we're 151. Uh, I'm going to uh, pull that back just a little bit because I do believe that smaller teams go faster. They're more innovative. Um, I don't want to get uh, too big too fast here. Um, I think we've got we will probably grow uh, to about you know just under 200 this year. Um, but the smaller the teams, uh, the faster they go, and the more innovative they are. And I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back on something that you and I have discussed before, and how we came in contact with each other, which is the Space Workforce 2030 initiative. That's right. Uh, and the fact that you are looking to hire above and beyond and outside of sort of the more traditional aerospace roles, um, and where women and folks from other diverse backgrounds are concerned as well. How is that process going? It's going well. Um, you know, it, it we've got to get the pipeline built, um, and, and that. That's going to take years to get a, a better, uh, a more, not better, but a more diverse uh, pipeline, which is a better pipeline. Um, and we're starting all the way at, at kindergarten um, through some of these initiatives, uh, K through 12, uh, postgraduate school, and, and on into, um, um, you know, workforce. And so it's going. I will say as you grow, uh, the percentage of underrepresented groups uh, in diversity in a company is really hard to maintain. We're, we're, we're suffering with that today. And so that's why we believe it's so important to, to start earlier um, and, and to make sure that, that those underrepresented groups uh, know that, that space is open. It's open for dreamers. I'm a dreamer. I wasn't a mathematician. I wasn't even very good at math growing up, but I had a passion and uh, now I run a space company or a data company. Um, so it, it's going. Um, our, our talent uh, workforce, I think, is best in the industry from an underrepresented uh, perspective. Even our chief scientist is a female, uh, Latina, and uh, best in industry and, and regarded as so with multiple awards. So um, we're, we're getting there. It is a problem in the space industry. We're uh, probably... Uh, further behind than most tech sectors, uh, sitting at about 13% uh, women. And, um, but I will say that uh, there, there are plenty of women doing amazing things in the space industry, breaking glass and, and setting, um, setting uh, role models uh, across the industry today from the Artemis program, even being named after a, a Greek goddess uh, to uh, all of the women who helped make this uh, Artemis mission this past year, um, a success. And so NASA has always had, um, you know, a, a, a great reputation for bringing in diverse candidates and, and women all the way from back in the, the beginning days of the Apollo program. So you're seeing, if you can see it, you can be it. And so we're trying to also uh, bring those folks in so that uh, as we go to K through 12 and uh, beyond that they can see slingshot and be uh, part of organizations like ours that are truly solving uh, some of the uh, humanity's biggest problems. And you're hiring. It sounds like you're, you don't want to grow too fast, you know, too far, too fast, but you are hiring. Um, sure. Are you hiring a lot of these tech workers that are that are getting laid off at some of the big tech companies? Well, some, um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, some. I uh, I don't know exactly you know if they're they're getting laid off the ones that that we're hiring. I do know that we have an extremely high standard 
uh, to get in the door here at Slingshot, uh, and it starts with uh, the person and their their passion for space, um, and um, you know respect and trust, and attitude, and all of those things come before even uh, we start digging into the skill of the the individual, uh, because we we just believe in in creating a culture. We put our people first. Uh, that's followed by um, um, our our trust with our customers. And then I believe if you've got trust inside with your people, you, you're you able to empower them, right? You're able to uh, say, here's the mission, here's your North Star, go, and they will get the traction and they will bring the revenue in. And so um, oftentimes it's not about where they came from, but what they bring and how they're going to level us up and do they meet our high standards. So long-term vision for Slingshot, where do you see this company five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? And I guess even more broadly, how that speaks into where you see this space economy going. Yeah, well, with the space economy, I mean, we're looking at a $10 trillion uh, space economy by, by 2030 with, you know, already $62 billion in 2022 from the U.S. government invested in space. Um, and, and thousands of, of satellites launched last year, 26 billion in uh, satellite manufacturing uh, by 2030 with, again, a $10 trillion market by 2030. And so where do we see ourselves fitting into that? You know, every day we gain more customers and we're giving them the ability to um, ensure that their, their systems are optimized uh, and, and, and not affected by the risks that they fly through. I think space is one of the riskiest environments, if not the riskiest environment. Uh, it's very complex, uh, but we're giving them the, the dynamic virtual uh, environment and, and decision intelligence te technology to truly uh, accelerate space sustainability for the world, but also for their companies. These companies really want to be part of a space sustainability movement uh, to create a safer orbital domain. And really, we believe that um, uh, we're key to that. So five years down the road, we hope that we have created the, the world's best uh, digital infrastructure capable of accelerating space sustainability and connecting the world. Space is a portal of knowledge. It's a portal of progress. It is at risk. Um, there's something called the Kessler syndrome that if we have a debris on debris event could knock out our, our Leo capabilities. Um, and if Leo is knocked out, then, uh, you know, things that, that we take for granted um, today um, may not be there, may not be available for us in the future. And so we want to prevent Kessler syndrome five years down the road. To answer your question, we will have accelerated space sustainability with our digital infrastructure. We will have created a safer orbital domain and in doing so, a safer world, a more connected world. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by searching Manifest Space wherever you get your podcasts. For more on the space race, be sure to watch Squawk on the Street on CNBC. I'm Morgan Brennan.